Welcome to Southridge. We're excited to have you. Hopefully you grabbed a cup of coffee, water bottle, donuts on your way in. We're going to kick off a great series this morning and uh, looking forward to what God has in store. Um, I believe that this series is going to really um, change your relationship. I believe it's going to restore some romance. I believe it's going to increase intimacy. You say, you really think it's going to do all that? I don't know. I'm just hoping it does. So there's no guarantees. But I do know this. I do know that God can do anything. I do know that God can transform any relationship. So no matter where you're at in your relationship right now, maybe things are going great. Maybe things are not so great. Maybe you're in in this room and you're like, I am single, ready to mingle, and I'm not seeing anybody yet. There's just nothing out there. I want to encourage you. This is going to be a great series. We're not just going to focus on married people. We want to be a help to everybody in the service this morning. And so I'm looking forward to diving into God's word, seeing some truth from his word that we can apply to our lives. A, um, uh, a husband passed away and uh, left his wife with $25,000. And um, the wife was uh, talking to a friend after the funeral and after they had uh, put her husband to rest and told her, her friend, I'm, I'm just so broke. And her friend said, I thought your husband left you $25,000. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, the funeral cost, that was 5000 And then the memorial stone, that took the rest of it. And she was like, well, well, how big of a memorial stone did you get? Three and a half carats. That's what I got. So, uh, courtesy laugh. Help me out. Come on, work with me a little bit. Maybe we just show the video again or something, you know, maybe that'll work. But uh, welcome to our marriage series. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis chapter number two. You say, I'm not really, it's hard for me to find my place in the Bible. This is easy. Genesis chapter number two. Just open up the first book. Just go a couple pages. Genesis chapter number two. If you did not bring your Bible uh, up on the screen, we'll have the scripture. In your worship guide, we'll have the scripture. Hey, pull it out on your phone. Um, I really want to encourage you to take out the word of God. Make some notes. I believe it'll be a help. And I want you to know, this is not my wisdom, all right? This is not nothing, nothing where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak from a place of great authority. I've been married seven years and uh, seven wonderful years. I think they're the greatest years of my wife's life. You could talk to her. I'm sure she would say that they're the best years. And if she doesn't, then she's in trouble. No, she's not. Um, but what I'm saying here this morning is the fact that when it comes to marriage, God's word has a ton to say on the subject. Matter of fact, it's really how scripture opens up in Genesis chapter number two. Chapter number one, we see the creation. And then in chapter two, we see once again, going back over that creation and God, what he has to say about it. And then we see the creation of man. And we're going to dive into Genesis chapter number two. But as we do that, before we get there, isn't it amazing that before we hand somebody a driver's license, they have to reach a certain age. They have to take a driver's training class. They then have to take a DMV written test. They then have to get behind the wheel and do the behind the wheel test. And then they still have to wait six months or sometimes longer, depending on their age, whether or not anybody else can ride in the vehicle with them. But yet when it comes to getting a marriage and getting married, you need 50 bucks and somebody else who will go on that ride with you. No class, no test, no training, no counseling, no nothing. And you can make one of the biggest decisions of your life just like that. And we wonder why divorce is at 50% across the board. 
People you say, well, it's much lower in the church. No, it's the exact same in the church. And I think it's because too often we just kind of jump into this thing and we're not really saying, Lord, how do you want marriage to go? Lord, what do you say about marriage? And so that's what we're going to do throughout this series. We're going to dive into what God's word says about marriage and what better place to start than in Genesis chapter number two. Because I believe that you, like many other people, you're probably tired of a mediocre marriage. You're probably tired of the rocky relationship. And you're saying, no, I want something real. I want something vibrant. I want something passionate. I want something like what I had when we first got married and when we first started dating. I want the butterflies again. I want the, the, the emotion again. I, I just want that to be desired again. I want all of that back. And we come back to the scripture. And I'm not going to say, how do you get that back? Because that's a stage that's gone, all right? And if you're trying to get that back, that is your problem. If you're trying to relive something in the past, that is your biggest problem. And I see so many people, they're just like, well, I just want to get back to how we were when we were dating. Sorry, Uh, 40 pounds later, you know, less hair later, uh, less money later, more wrinkles later. It's just not going to happen, okay? There's just things that have changed and life has happened. But how can we still rekindle the romance? That's what we're going to look at. Um, Hilary Duff, the actor... That became famous for Lizzie McGuire. She said after her um, wedding that lasted 16, 14 months, she said, I don't know if people are meant to be together forever. And I think if we're going to go to pop culture and if we're going to look at what our friends have to say about marriage, we're going to be really confused. Um, Today, there's a big distortion of what a relationship should look like, what dating should look like, what marriage should look like. And so that's where I want us to get right back into God's word. He invented it. He created it. Let's see what God has to say about it. Let's start in Genesis chapter number two, verse number 18, shall we? Bible says this, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. This is the first time in God's creation that he finally says it is not good. Up until that time, he looked at creation. He said, it's good. It's good. It's good. He even said, hey, this is very good. But then when it comes to man being alone, he says, hey, this isn't good. He said, I will create a help meet for him. I saw this passage where it said to help me for him. And this kind of was a game changer for me in the sense of the way I looked at my own spouse. Because oftentimes, maybe your relationship is like mine. You kind of divvy up certain jobs and responsibilities. It's my wife's job to cook, to clean, to kind of look after the kids, to kind of do the laundry. And then it's my job to make sure there's a roof over our head, to make sure that there's money in the bank account, to make sure the lawn is mowed, to make sure that uh, any big mechanical issues that I ask somebody else for help, how to fix it. There's just my responsibilities. And that's what I'm supposed to take care of. And we kind of compartmentalize our life. But the problem is, the Bible says, the wife is a help meet or a helper to the husband. Meaning, it's the husband's job to raise the children. The wife helps the husband. But so many times in society, we say, well, I'm working, so it's your job. And so many times we look at things like cooking and cleaning and laundry, and we kind of think, well, that's just kind of more of a feminine task. And we kind of relegate that to them but the bible saying no 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 you see it's all of man's responsibility and that's what i need us to understand this morning god is saying hey i put the man over it all but i gave you a helper to help you in the task so instead of approaching your marriage like no no hey hey babe that's just your job you just handle that 
We're making some major mistakes when we don't even look at God's word and understand what does it mean to have a helper. That was free. Let's keep going. Verse number 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called them, every living creature, this, that was the name. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto him. Let me stop. You need to understand something. The reason that the Bible brings in that God brought the animals to Adam is so that Adam would see that there is none here that is like me. There's, there's, there's not the same. He was looking for a companion, but then God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep and then takes a rib from Adam's side. Adam was not created the same way as Eve. God took dirt, took dust and formed Adam. But for Eve, God took a rib. This is scholars say to signify two things. First of all, the rib meant to be close to his side. Our spouse, our wife is one we keep close by our side, not at a distance. There should not be a cold war in the home where you feel a distance from the spouse. There should be a closeness. Also, the Bible says, I took the rib. This signifies something that's close to the heart. We should keep our spouse close to our heart. So there's mental imagery. There's a picture here in the scriptures. So when we look at this passage of scripture, let's not just read it over like, oh, it's Genesis. I, I, I know this passage. And we need to just dive into it and see it for what it really is. Verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now you need to understand at first glance, we kind of look at that introduction for Adam and we kind of think, oh, that's nice. And I'm sorry, I know this is a mixed audience. I may go a little bit PG-13 here on you, okay? I need you to understand what Adam is actually saying, okay? Up until this time, he's seen hippos, he's seen lions, he's seen horses, he's seen giraffes, but he has never seen a woman. And all of a sudden, here's this woman that God brings to him, and he says, this is now bone of my bone. But when we look at the text, what he's actually saying, it's literally like he's saying, yes! At last, finally, hubba, 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 basically is what he's saying, okay? He sees a woman, and he's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I've been missing. That's the energy. You say, whoa, hey, this is church. I thought we were a little bit more formal. I'm just telling you, as I did the study, literally, this is his excitement over seeing, because all of a sudden, he realizes God created something special, unique, just for me. Verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. This means that marriage should be the primary relationship. Too often I see marriages where one spouse stays in the area of where one of the in-laws live or where their parents live. And all of a sudden it's almost like that, that spouse now cares more about his family. And so the other spouse can kind of feel like an outsider in the environment. And so sometimes um, I've gone to my in-laws house and they're all Filipino and I've gone over there and I'm the, I'm the token white guy. I kind of stand out, you know, and it's kind of cool and everything. And at first we had to work through these issues that, hey, when I'm at your house, I would appreciate English. That would just be helpful. I just want to know if you're talking about me or to me, whatnot. And she's like, she handed me a Filipino dictionary. She's like, figure it out. No, she didn't. I'm just kidding. She didn't. But um, it's one of those situations where it's like, wait a minute, I kind of feel like an outsider here. So the reason the Bible says, hey, leave. It's because you and your spouse are the primary relationship. Here's what can happen even when children come into the relationship. All of a sudden, I've seen parents get so focused on the children, they're no longer focusing on each other. 
Because now it's just, hey, the first 18 years, sometimes 20 years. For my parents, they still have teenagers at home and they're almost 60, all right? So for them, I'm like, hey, guys, you got to finally focus on each other sometime here. And what happens is the children become the priority. There's no room for intimacy. There's no room for romance. There's no room for just time together. Why? Because you're no longer the primary relationship where God said, hey, wait a minute. Come out from not, no longer with a father and mother. Here's what's really fascinating. God created Adam and God created Eve. So they wouldn't understand what a mother and father was. Isn't it just fascinating? There was no mother and father up until that time. But God uses this language for a reason because he wants to get your attention. He wants to get mine. How important this is when you get married, that there's a primary relationship. Also this, and the Bible says, and shall cleave. That means marriage should be a permanent relationship. The word cleave is literally the word to cement or to glue. This is why we live in an age where, and I'm going to be quite frank, I know that there are people in this auditorium, you are either a new Christian or you are discovering Christianity. And so some things that I may say may offend you. This may really make you mad. It may make you uncomfortable. But we live in a day and age where people just feel like we can just move in together. We'll act married. We'll, we'll, we'll do what married people do. We'll share a bank account. We'll share a bed. And uh, we won't get married. And it's all good. The problem is you are cementing something that God said, no, that's not the way. That's not the way. And what happens is people say, well, we just love each other. And I've seen bad divorce. And so, you know, we just don't want to, we don't want to go through that. I'm sorry, you don't really love that person. You say, no, 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 pastor, I really love this person. Well, apparently you don't love them enough to say there's no other options. I'm with you and I'm marrying you only. See, if they really did, that would be the next step, right? But if they don't take that step of marriage, they're saying, I still got options, baby. Hey, you make me mad. You upset me. This thing doesn't work out. And guess what? It will not always work out. There's going to be difficult days. Nobody told me that you were going to argue in a marriage. Nobody said it. So when I got married and on my honeymoon, we're arguing about the rental car. I'm like, something's wrong. Like we're arguing about the rental car. Really? I want the convertible. It's our honeymoon. And we're arguing about this. This is like a no brainer. I thought we're never supposed to argue. I literally, I kid you not church. I thought my marriage was doomed. I was like, this is it. What have I done? And she had this same feeling. She was like almost in tears over this rental car thing. And I'm just like, we just need to go eat. And then I figured out she was just hangry. It had nothing to do with the rental car. It was like, just pick a car. We need to go eat something. All right. That's all it was really about. Okay. Some of you spouses, you feel me. You know exactly where it's going on. So you need to understand there's a cementing that is happening. And so today we live in a day and age where it just seems like, oh, no, no, no. You can just get together with whoever you want. Now, whenever you take cement and, or glue and you put it together, when you rip those two, there's going to be some damage. There's going to be some leftovers on both sides. There's not going to be this, this clean break. People talk about it. We'll just be friends. No. Even Shakespeare said that Shakespeare said love can blossom into or friendship can blossom into love, but love can never go back to friendship. No. And if you try that, if you try that, you say, hey, babe, you know, um, I married you, but there was this other girl. We're still friends. We dated before you. I'm just going to talk to them on Facebook. I guarantee your spouse will have a problem with that friendship. You say, well, we just, after we broke up, we said we'd be friends. Nope, not happening. That's a way to cause insecurity. It's a way to cause a rift. It's a way to just cause all kinds of problems if you're saying, hey, we're just going to stay friends. No, that does not work. 
The Bible says that we should leave and cleave unto his wife. And then it says unto his wife. It does not say wives. It didn't say multiple. Uh, polygamy is not God's way. You say, I saw it in the Bible, Abraham. I saw that in David. Uh, Solomon, he had us all beat 700 wives and 300. We don't know what that was, but I mean, there's a thousand of them. I mean, three for each day, you know, and some of us had that kind of expectation going into marriage. Like, hey, when I got married twice a day and on Sundays, three times, come on, you know, and we, we get sorely disappointed when it didn't work out like that. We're like, wait a minute, this is, this is not how I, I pictured it, all right? Bible says, wife, singular, not plural. And they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. We're going to come back to verse number 25. This is all free introduction, all right? We haven't even gotten to the meat of the message. Let's go to chapter 3. You say, this is kind of a long introduction. I know, I know. Don't worry. I want to make sure you get what you paid for. So we have this beautiful relationship. It's awesome. I mean, think about it for a second. Here's two gorgeous people, probably in the prime of their life. They have no kids, no bills, no clothes, and they're in paradise. Does it get any better? All right. I mean, I'm just telling you. And yet, even though it's perfect, guess what happens in chapter three? They managed to screw it up. I mean, one chapter later. It's like these are two-year-olds hyped up on pixie sticks, and they just can't do right, all right? So notice verse number, chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, God never said not to touch it. God said, don't eat it. Do you think at this point, there's a little resentment towards God and saying, you can have everything you want, but there's this thing that's off limits? And could it be that Satan now sees this resentment? It's going to build off of it? Because I can tell you what, oftentimes in a relationship, your marriage is going through arguments or difficult seasons, and it's not because of something major. It's because something little that built a little bit of a resentment. Just a little bit. It was that one comment. It was that um, slide remark. Sometimes it could just be a look. You just looked at your spouse. You just looked at your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend. And all of a sudden, there's something inside of their heart. And now that Satan just kind of builds on that and builds on it. And they make bad decisions. So here's what Eve does. She said, hey, we shouldn't even touch it or we're going to die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree, get this, to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. Here's what I want to focus on. How does desire turn into disappointment? Because every marriage is going to go through that. Every relationship is going to go through that. You start with this desire. Here's this perfect person. They are awesome. They are wonderful. They're romantic. They're cute. They're funny. They're just so sweet. They're caring. They're kind. They listen. Every relationship starts out with desire. And every relationship is going to go through disappointment. But what happens oftentimes is in the disappointment, that's when the relationships fall into despair 
and they just go. They're just gone. Happens in a dating relationship. It can happen in a marriage relationship. So how do we, when we go through desire and we hit despair, how do we get through that properly? How do we grow through that? Because this morning, I care so much about your marriage. This is such a personal topic to me. Last year, there were good people in this church whose marriages did not make it even just one year later. Simply, and I'm not blaming, I'm just saying this is now personal. And if this is something where you're just like, I don't really care, then please go to a church where you can get fed, where you can grow, because this is a big deal. Because you live in a world, and I'm sick and tired of married people that are, that are up in arms and that will go to Washington and ride in the street and rail against some ethnic group or some uh, uh, different political group, but yet in their own marriage, they don't do anything. They can get so mad when they watch, watch Fox TV, but yet they'll just neglect the wife or their husband next to them. Yeah, we want to march and we want to pick it against everything else and who else can have a marriage, but yet we do nothing about our own marriages. So this is why this series can be so helpful. Matter of fact, my wife and I have even written daily devotionals for the next month we want you to sign up for. That every day you get a devotional that's just going to help your marriage. Every day. Because if you do not make this a priority, you may not be sitting here next year. And you say, no, no, no. I'm telling you some of the best couples, some of the best couples, some of the couples that just seem like they got it all together. They got the perfect home. They got the perfect life. They've got the perfect 2.5 children. I mean, they've got the dog. They've got everything together. And yet inside, their marriage is just imploding. So this is a big deal for me. This is a big deal to the Lord. So as we start this marriage series, and as we kick off this next four uh, four weeks, I'm not trying to scare you. I am trying to get you to kind of wake wake up from your paralysis, to wake up and to see once again the beauty of the person next to you, to once again see that person next to you as a wonderful person, that person that you married, that person you made a sacred vow to, and you come back to rekindling that romance, to rediscover that romance. You may be saying, well, you know what, we're kind of, we're older in years. We've got more wrinkles, but you can still be radiant. There can still be passion. So with that in mind, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you that your word cares so much about our marriages. In a day and age where pop culture, where everybody around us will tell us that marriage, good marriages can't happen, that they're lucky if they do, I believe through your word we can have strong marriages. I believe we can have passionate marriages. I believe we can have marriages that when we go through those seasons of disappointment. Our marriages can make it. And I'm praying that you would guard our marriages. I'm praying that we as a church, we as Christians, we would rise up and say, I want that sacred relationship, that I want that holy covenant relationship, that picture of you, that picture of that Christ had with the Father. That is the bond, the picture that we want in our marriages. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Would you touch the person next to you and would you say, hey, we're going to deal with marriage misconceptions. Marriage misconceptions is what we're going to deal with today. Marriage misconceptions. Because this is the biggest pitfall for marriages, aren't they? Hey, uh, the ladies in this room, I promise you, you're probably like my little girl. You thought about the perfect wedding, the perfect marriage since you were just five or six years old. You may even play dress up. Uh, Megan, a week or two ago, she told Jane, she was talking to her and she said, you know, when my husband and I plan a church, we're going to have more donuts than you guys have. (laughs) 
really? Okay, all right. I guess we're not giving enough donuts to the kids. And uh, she was like, and then we need a bounce house. And she's just adding all these things that her and her husband are doing. And I'm thinking, husband, you're not even six years old, but it's already on her mind. The expectation is just growing. I feel bad for the husband because in 30 years when she gets married, I mean, at that point, she'll have such large expectations that it might just be impossible to please her. But here's the reality. We all came in with expectations. And the frustrating thing is we realize that after the honeymoon or after the first year of marriage, all our expectations aren't turning out to be reality. That what we expected is not what we're experiencing. So how do we navigate that? And sometimes I meet marriages that hmm, 20 years are still still trying to figure it out. I meet newlyweds and, and they honestly, they're wondering if they married the wrong person because they're so confused. They're wondering if they're with the right person. Instead of understanding that there's going to be misconceptions. Simply because she married a man and you married a woman. This is night and day. And so we need to understand how do we navigate these misconceptions. So how do people that fall in love go from delighting in each other to disappointing in each other? And we're going to look at it first and foremost. Notice if you would chapter 2. The Bible says this in verse 23. Let's go back and go over it. The Bible says, and, this, and Adam said this, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of the man. There was supposed to be a close bond. There was supposed to be a closeness. But then instead of Eve and Adam enjoying that closeness, how come in a few verses later, Eve is ready to trade all of that, all the personal relationship with God, the personal relationship with her husband, for some fruit? Because I would say this. Because when we meet the one, we have this misconception that we think, when I meet the one, then I'll be totally happy. When I meet the one, I'll be totally happy. Not just happy, totally happy. And here's the thing. You may not say it out loud, but you think it, you feel it, you believe it. You, you just think this person is supposed to make me totally happy. You see, here's how modern dating goes. Modern dating goes like this. Find the one. Attach all your hopes and dreams to that person. And when that person fails you, go back to step number one. Because it didn't work out. Go find another one. And some of you feel like you married the wrong one because you attach all your hopes and dreams and desires and happiness and joy on that person. And when that person lets you down and they will, you all of a sudden think you made a mistake in picking the person. Because you somehow believed, bought the lie, that there is a person out there that will make you perfectly happy. Uh, Think of the story of uh, The Little Mermaid for a second. Come on, Disney. They put out the happy ever after. I mean, they market that thing. They are making billions off of that. Like, hey, you want to live happily ever after? Uh, Disney is trying to show you how. Only problem is if you read the actual story of The Little Mermaid. How many have ever read the actual Hans Christian Andersen story of The Little Mermaid? Okay, for all those that haven't, which is about 90% of you, the actual story, yes, there is a little mermaid. Yes, she does meet a prince. Yes, she wants to marry the prince. And no, her father will not let her turn into a human and go up to the sea and uh, the land and, 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 and sing and dance and go marry the guy. So, yes, she does go to the witch, Ursula. She does go, and the witch does indeed help her get her legs. But when Ariel gets to the land and meets the prince, the prince falls in love with another girl and marries another girl. So the witch comes to the little mermaid and tells little mermaid, Ariel, you need to now kill the prince. This is Hans Christian Andersen's story. She says, I can't kill the prince, so she commits suicide. 
That is the Little Mermaid. Very happy, warm, fuzzy. Good story to tell your little kids tonight before they go to bed, right? The moral of the story that Hans Christian Andersen was trying to tell was simply, children, listen to your father. That was the moral of the story. Totally different from what Disney pointed out. Disney said, you follow your heart as long as you can, as hard as you can, and eventually everybody else will come out to see that you were right all along. The problem is, the Bible says that we can't trust our own heart. We can't trust our own emotions. So when you come to a point when you are saying, hey, when I meet the one, then I'll be totally happy and I'll fix all of my hopes, all my dreams. I have a word for that. It's called idolatry. That means that that person is your idol, meaning this. If that person doesn't please you, make you happy, then your world is wrecked. That means you put all your hopes and dreams and and everything on that person. There's only one person that will never satisfy you. There's only one person that can satisfy you. There's only one person that says, hey, you can put all your hopes and dreams on me. You can put all of your desires on me, and I will never leave you. I will never fail you, and that is Jesus Christ. And you did not marry Jesus, though he is trying to be like Jesus. And though she is striving to be like Jesus, you did not marry that person. So when you get disappointed, when you get discouraged that that person is letting you down, do not think you married the wrong person. You just married a broken, sinful human being. That's what you married. And instead of thinking, well, I just got to keep looking for the one. Eventually, I'll find the one. You need to come back to the fact that, wait a minute, there is the one. His name is Jesus. I'm going to fix all my hopes and dreams and desires on him. He will bring me satisfaction, and I'm focusing on him. And it's just like the old triangle metaphor, that there's the two spouses on either end of the lower end of the triangle. And as they get closer to God, they get closer to each other. Now, that same triangle can work in reverse. And I see it happen throughout the church. As one spouse drifts from God, they eventually drift further away from the other spouse. It always happens. And I see it oftentimes. I'll see one spouse and they say, hey, they say oh, my other spouse, they just, they just weren't feeling like coming to church today. I'm really sorry. They just kind of, and week after week goes by, I'm telling you what's happening. They're drifting from God, but as they drift from God, they're drifting from you. It's our job to steward, to guide, to cultivate that relationship, to stir them to love God. And as they get closer to God, they will get closer to you. So as we think about this, 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 part of us that we have to work on this idolatrous part because the human body we the human um, mankind we're always looking for another idol for some of you your spouse may not be your idol it could be your car it could be golf it could be your job we have all all kinds of idols and what happens is is when somebody criticizes our idol how angry do we get here's what's amazing to me um your wife or your husband doesn't get mad if you skip church to work or to play golf. Maybe golf, but if you got to work, they don't, they don't really get upset. They don't get upset if you got to take extra time just to be with the family on the weekend. They don't really get, get upset. They don't get upset, really, if you haven't really spent any time with the Lord. They don't. Your spouse gets upset when you don't spend time with them or with the kids. That's when they start getting upset. They start getting upset when you start neglecting things around the home. But why is it that we do not get upset when we see our spouse is drifting from God? We only get upset when they're drifting from us. And we think the problem is if they're closer to me, they'll be closer to God when it's actually not that at all. 
It's they're drifting from God, which is why they're drifting from me. And I've got to get them closer to the Lord, and I've got to help them and encourage them and pray for them. Here's something I started doing this week. My phone goes off three times a day. Three times a day, I pray for three big things. Because I was convicted for a long time. My wife and I, we pray together every day. Every day we pray together. Before we go to bed at night, we crawl into bed, and that's when we pray. Now, for those of you that are dating, do not follow my example. Hey, the pastor said you got to crawl into bed. We got to pray. All right. So if we're going to be like the pastor, he prays to bed. No, no, you are dating. If you're going to pray together, keep both feet on the floor. All right. That's just good. That just helps. All right. I'm just telling you, uh, you don't need to have legs up or anywhere. That's just, and clothes on. That's good. All right. It's okay. We're having church. It's all right. Okay. Some of you, some of you really spiritual people, you're like, I just see you tensing up. Relax. It's okay. Relax. All right. You're like, my kids are here. I know. And that's why we had rich kids. You should have took them over there. It's all right. You know. But when our spouses aren't getting closer to God, we don't have a problem with it. We only have a problem when they're drifting from us. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that you should not be angry when they're, when they're drifting from you. Because they started drifting from the Lord first. So our goal is to point them back there. So first misconception is that when I meet the one, then they will make me totally happy. Misconception number two. Notice this. If, let's continue following along. Verse number six. She looks at the food. She says, and when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof. Here's another misconception. What I'm missing is better than what I have. What I'm missing is better than what I have. If you're in a dating relationship and all of a sudden right now you see that person and somebody else more attractive walks by and they take a look, watch out. If you're a spouse and you take a look, you see, Eve is now looking at the fruit, isn't she? She's looking at something that she thinks this is going to satisfy. This is going to fill some need. This is going to fill some desire, something that I'm lacking because there's something that I don't have that I need. And even here, uh, Satan comes in and is like, yeah, God doesn't want you to have this because then you're going to be like God to know good and evil, to be smarter, to be wiser, to have more. This is all of a sudden, this is just basic pride. That's all it is. And so many times I see couples and they think, wait, I'm missing out. God is holding back from me. There's a great passage of scripture in later in this book, Genesis chapter number 29, because when we feel like we're missing out, that's when we start to compromise to get what we want. In Genesis chapter number 29, it's a story of another couple. The couple is Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. I almost called that message that I wanted to preach sister wives, because that's exactly what kind of happened. You see, Jacob comes to his uncle's farm and his uncle's territory, and Jacob's dad was Isaac. Isaac's dad was Abraham. That's kind of the the lineage. For sake of time, I'm just going to kind of fill you in. And uh, Jacob is the one that betrayed his brother and lied about the birthright. And he got the birthright, and he had to run for his life because Esau said, hey, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob flees for his life, and he goes into his uncle's land, his uncle Laban, and he gets to the land, and there he sees Rachel. And the Bible says that Rachel is fair in figure, or she's beautiful in figure. And so instantly, the Bible says that Jacob sees her and kisses her. Now, no welcome, no, hey, how you doing? Just an old tradition, I guess. And so he goes up, kisses her, and then he says, hey, by the way, I'm your cousin. 
As if it wasn't bad enough that he just kissed her. Then he said he's a cousin. They must be from like southern Israel or something where they kind of do that kind of stuff. I don't know. Go to a family reunion for a date or something. I I don't know. It's kind of different. And then he goes to Rachel's house and tells uh, uh, Rachel's dad, Laban, hey, I'm your nephew. I want to work for you because I want to marry Rachel. But Jacob has nothing. He left with nothing. He didn't have anything with him. And so normally, if you were going to marry somebody, you would have a dowry. You would, you would bring cattle. You would bring gold. You would bring wheat. You'd bring uh, goats. You'd bring whatever you could to trade for the wife. I know it doesn't sound romantic, ladies, but it's just cultural how it would happen. But Jacob doesn't have anything. And if you didn't have anything, what you would do is you would kind of almost act like an indentured servant. You would say, I will work for you for X amount of years. Typically, in that culture, two years was considered standard for a bride. Two years. But here's Jacob, and he really loves Rachel. He says, I'm not just going to do two years. I'm not just going to do four years. I'm not just going to do six years. He says, I will work for Rachel for seven years. All of a sudden, some of you ladies are like nudging the guy next to you. I don't think you'd work for me seven years. And, and they're saying, oh, yeah, 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 I would. Of course I would. And uh, you know, here, here he is, and Jacob is basically saying, I love you so much and I want you so bad. It's complete. The problem is he's compromising more than he should. And here's what happens. Rachel's got an older sister. Her name is Leah. The Bible says that Leah is, oh, doe-eyed. You say, what do you mean doe-eyed? Like the Bible said, we talked about Rachel. We kind of need to talk about Leah And basically, it's like saying she's got a nice personality. That's basically what they're saying. Rachel's got it going on. Leah don't. All right? Rachel's hot. Leah's not. Okay? This is basically what's going on. That's what the Bible is saying. Okay? Now, so here is Jacob. And he's like, hey, I want to marry Rachel. I really, I'm in love with Rachel. She's beautiful. I want to be with Rachel. So he works seven years. And then he comes to Laban. And many of you are thinking, oh, that's so sweet. He loves Rachel. And then he says basically to Laban, he's like, hey, I've worked for you seven years. Now go get her for me. I want to lie with her. Basically what he says. So then Laban says, okay, let's have a wedding. Let's have a feast. And at the wedding... Laban does something very shocking. Laban gets Jacob drunk, okay? Just gets him hammered. And then Laban takes a big bridal veil, like a big one. And then he covers, not Rachel, he covers Leah. And I've got to read the scripture to you because it's almost like, almost too good to be true. The Bible says in verse 22 of chapter 29, Laban gathered together all the men of the place and prepared a feast. But in the evening, he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob had relations with her. Basically means he sealed the deal. But Jacob is so hammered, he didn't know that this is not Rachel. This is Leah. But notice what happened. He says, verse 25, in the morning, Jacob discovered it was Leah. Hello. And some of you are like, yeah, I remember when I got married. And then I look over, whoa, who are you without the makeup? Like, what is that? Like, really? Where is your face? And they, some guys just didn't know. They just don't know. I mean, they have no idea. And so he wakes up, took my whole night. He wakes up and he realizes that this is not the one. And then he goes and he goes to Laban and he said, what is this you have done to me? Did not I serve for Rachel? Why have you tricked me? Now, there's a lot we could pull out of that story, but here's what I need you to realize. 
Some of you, you woke up with somebody that you were not expecting. The desire has now turned into disappointment. And that's what I'm going at. Jacob's disappointed. And then if we continue on this passage, we see how disappointed Leah is. The Bible literally says that Leah was despised in Jacob's eyes. So she starts having children with him. And each time she would name a child, the child's name, as you study it, one would say, now my husband will love me. That was like the name of the child. Now my husband will care about me. These were the names she was naming her children because she was despised because Jacob didn't want anything to do with her because this is Leah. She's not as attractive as Rachel. She's doe-eyed. She's not as, as pretty. And all of a sudden, she's now disappointed in the relationship. He's disappointed. And for some of you, it's not that the other person, maybe their physical appearance has changed. It's that something about them has changed. And you wake up next to him and you're thinking, I'm just disappointed. I thought we'd be closer than this. I didn't think they would be so emotionally unavailable. I didn't think we'd go to bed and we'd kind of wake up and raise the kids, share the bank account. It's kind of like we're just domestic partners. We're just kind of roommates. There's no romance. There's no, no closeness. There's no intimacy. What happened? Because I'll tell you what. When we begin to compromise, that's when we let sin in. And when sin comes in, we become more concerned by what concerns us. And some of you, that's what's happened in the relationship. You're now more concerned about what concerns you, not your spouse. And everything they do, you're disappointed by. Another way to say it is like this. God says you are now one. But here's what happens when we becomes me. And that's what can happen in a relationship. We can get divided. We can get separated. So we've got to be on guard. We've got to say, you know what? I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to give up because what I'm missing is better than what I have. And that's not true. Here's, here's what you need to come back to. If, if you think the grass is greener on the other side, it's time to water your own lawn. It's time to maybe say, hey, I heard that church has given away 100 free date night ideas. Let's go do those. Valentine's is coming up. Here's what often happens is when you go to your spouse and you say, hey, let's go on a date. What do you want to eat and what do you want to do? That's not a date. It's just not. And I know some of you are like, well, every time I pick a restaurant, it's not what they want. Here's what you do. Just go get Ethiopian food, sit on the floor, eat with your hands. And I'm telling you what, just surprise her. Even if the food's not good, she's going to be like, whoa, this is a step up from Chili's. Yeah. Like I'm not paying with a debit card at my table while my husband's playing the little pong game. This is kind of nice. I'm telling you what, you will surprise her. You'll say, yeah, but you don't know Ethiopian food and me. It's all right. She'll be so excited, the fact that, wow, you did something different. You didn't ask her about it. You surprised her with it. That's a date. And so many times, we just kind of have these expectations like, oh, my wife, she fell in love with She just needs to stay in love with me. Here's the third misconception. I'm moving quick. Sorry. What I have to give up is worth what I'll get in return. She honestly, Eve honestly thought, hey, what I'm getting in return, I'm going to be like, God, this is a good trade. This is a great trade. And some of you feel like, man, this is a fair. I'm going I'm to give with this other girl. I'm going to give with this other guy. This is a good trade. This is a good trade. I was talking with one of our church members this week, and we were talking about how, guess what? Sex is good, but it ain't that good. It's not that good. And some of you, you feel like that's it. That's the pinnacle, like with that person. No, it's not. There's way more to a relationship than that. There's way more. And I see marriages after marriages where they just implode because of that. They just feel like, well, that's it. And you're willing to give up the family. You're willing to give up the respect. You're willing to look your children. This is what the church member and I were talking about. We were saying, hey, you're willing to look your children in the eye and say, my life has been a lie. I've been lying about everything that I'm not who you think I am. To look your spouse in the eye and say, guess what? I was lying to you. I never loved you. 
You're willing to let 10, 15, 20, 25 years into that relationship and you're willing to do that? And he was like, never in a million years. He's like, that would scare me to death. And that's where we've got to get to. We say, you know, there's no trade worth it. There is nothing that I would trade for that relationship. But so many times I see people trading so much for so little. Hey, you're maybe in a dating relationship. You may not be married, but I need you to understand something. The past trumps a promise. The past trumps a promise. You say, what do you mean? Their past behavior is an indicator of what their future performance is going to be like. You say, well, my wife, she's just not really faithful. Where'd you meet them? At the bar? Oh, okay. All right. And who were they with? Oh, they were with their husband. They were going through some bad times, and she's just not real faithful to me. Hmm. Past behavior is a good indicator of future performance. Hey, my husband just drinks too much. Always drinking, always drinking. Where'd you meet him? Oh, we were at this party, and man, he was doing a cake stand. It was so funny. Hmm. Past behavior is a good indicator of future performance. He said, my husband, I just don't know how honest he is. Just a liar. Hmm. And sometimes what we do, it's called focalism. We focus on one good issue, and we kind of ignore everything else. Race horses, they put the blinders on them so they can't see anything else. And I see relationships do it all the time. You ever looked at somebody, and you're like, that's as happy as they're going to be in that relationship. Like, this is the best it's ever going to be because I, they don't see. The guy don't have a job. He don't have a car. He don't have a clue. But she's just like, oh, I'm smitten by that guy. Or it could be the exact opposite. The girl could just have no clue. And you're willing to say, hey, for 50 bucks, we can go seal the deal. Let's do it. Hmm. Past behavior is a good indicator of future performance. Hey, I'm tired of seeing such great young people throw away their lives just because they just following what the rest of the world and culture says they need to do. You don't need to do that. Hey, if you want a relationship like everybody else, do what everybody else is doing. But if you want something that is dynamic, because marriage is more than just about finding a mate. It's about a mission. That's what it is. Something deeper to it. There's something passionate. There's something awesome about it. And for some of you, the best illustration I can give you, if you've only gone to Chuck E. Cheese, you've never been to Disneyland, I'm sorry, you're missing out. Because I know that there are kids right here, they're just, they think Chuck E. Cheese is the greatest. But as soon as you take them to Disneyland, you try to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. They ain't going back to Chuck E. Cheese. There's no, uh-uh. No, they're like, really? No, I rode Space Mountain. Whoa, I, I, I got to go on that pirate ship. I got to do all this. And for some of you, you're like, yeah, our relationship is great. No, your relationship is Chuck E. Cheese. That's what it is. All right? It's not Disneyland. It's not the happiest place in the world. It's not that. You're playing house, but it's not the real deal. It's not. And you've even in the back of your mind, you know it's not. You know that something's missing, something's lacking, something's uh, just not quite right. It's because you're just playing house. And God has more for you. Marriage is so much better than that. Don't cheapen it. Don't cheapen it by just saying, hey, we're just going to kind of do what everybody else does. Then you're going to have a relationship like everybody else. It's not going to last. It's not going to make it. And it's not going to go the distance. You say, well, well, it's just really hard and, and, and it's hard to find the right person. I'm going to tell you this. You're more sexually compatible with people than you are relationally compatible. And some of you, that's the only reason why you're in the relationship. You say, wow, we just, we just went there. Yeah, we did. Because this is the culture we live in. That's the culture we live in. I, I hate taking Megan to a grocery store. Because when we check out, she's got to see all these plastic photoshopped images of all these fake people who have jacked up lives. And now she thinks that's real. When it's not. It's not real. 
And for some of you, you've been conditioned that that's supposed to be your marriage life, and it's not. I need you to stop watching the Hollywood. I need you to stop reading Cosmopolitan and thinking that's where I get my marriage help from. What I want you to do is I want you to find some couple in this church who's been married for 25 years who, yeah, guess what? They may have some love handles. Yes, they may have been through some bumps and bruises. Hey, guess what? They may not be the hippest, coolest couple, but you skip with them and they will tell you how to weather the storms. They will tell you how to make it when it stinks. They will tell you what it's like when the other person is sick. What they will tell you what it's like when marriage is not fun anymore. They will tell you what it's like at 2 a.m. feeding a baby. They will tell you what it's like when they barely paying the bills and they will tell you what marriage is really like and that's what you need, not cosmopolitan. And that's a good time to say amen, church. Okay? Because I'm so tired of singles, and I'm so tired of even married couples that are just like, oh, we just, we just kind of uh, doing this little marriage. And I'm like, what? That's not marriage? And you say, well, there's no perfect couples. There's not, but there's a lot of couples that are doing a whole lot better than you. And I would seek them out, and I would say, you got to help me. I would look to them and just get advice from them just being around them. Because guess what? Your single friends are not going to help you. They don't have a clue. They don't know. And it cracks me up that you go on Facebook and you'll ask for help on Facebook. Really? Are you for real? Like, I'm in a relationship. What should I do? You're inviting the peanut gallery that doesn't have a clue. I mean, basically, it's like the inmates are running the asylum. And that's who you ask for help. All right? No. Uh Uh-uh. Talk to a married person that's been through some things. They'll give you some real help. Basically, they're going to tell you, you're selfish, get over yourself, and go back and love that person and serve them. I I got one person that knows. Thank you. It's basically, you love them and you serve them. That's what marriage is. And sometimes we've got this very veneer picture of what marriage is. Y'all are holding me way too long. We got to go. We got to go. Last point, last point. Here's where we get to. We feel like some of us feel like, well, I've failed and I've messed up and that's it. And I don't want to leave you there. I don't want to leave you in a point because I know where we're at in the 21st century. Many people did not grow up with good parents or they did grow up with good parents. They made poor decisions. And so now they're, they're saying, hey, what do I do with this? Okay. What do I do with what I have? All right. I haven't been perfect. I haven't made all the right decisions. What do I do now? And I want to give you a whole lot of hope. All right. I know we kind of started up here, and then now we're down here. We're going to bring you up, okay? I need you to understand that that's exactly what the rest of this passage is. You see, in Genesis chapter number 3, yes, this is the unfolding of how Adam and Eve doomed the rest of the human race. It really is. But it's also the greatest chapter in the Bible. Because this is where we see the first mention that Jesus Christ is going to come back as a redeemer. He's going to die for all of our sins. He's going to cover them by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that when God the Father, who is holy, perfect, and just, looks at you and looks at me, he no longer sees our past sin, no longer sees our failure. All that he sees is the spotless, sinless, perfect blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he sees when he looks at you. So no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what the past may be, no matter how your relationship is going, no matter what relationship you are currently in, Jesus Jesus Christ, if you say, hey, I've given my life to him, I have given my heart to him, then Jesus Christ is excellent. We could do some work here because God can pardon your past. God can pardon your past. He doesn't want you to feel stuck. Many times, though, we can feel exposed and we're tempted to make excuses. And I don't want you to make the excuses. We don't have time, but in verses 8 through verse number 13, God comes to Adam and Eve after they've sinned. And God is looking for him and God says, what have you done? And immediately, Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. And that's how a lot of relationships hurt. I've found that it's not the conflict that's difficult in marriage. 
It's the conversations that are difficult. You say, what do you mean? If Adam simply would have stopped Eve and said, hey, we need to talk right now. You're having a conversation with the serpent, but you and I need to have a conversation. That would have solved everything. And I see too many spouses, they're not having any conversations. They say the average couple talks 37 minutes a day. Average couple. Stanford. Isn't that sad? 37 minutes a day? I mean, Adam's here in this entire chapter. He's right there by Eve. Where where else has he got to go? He's not at the sports bar. He's not on the golf course. He's not working on the truck. Where's he got to go? He just met her. He's not going to leave her. No, he's right there. But he won't have the conversation. And some of you are not having the conversation with your spouse to straighten things out. Some of you, there's just a cold war and you're saying, we're just not going to talk about it. How is that working out? You're just not talking about it. And you go and it's okay for maybe a week or two, but all of a sudden something else brings it right back up because you're not willing to have the conversation. And Adam could have saved Eve a world of hurt. Instead, no, they're, now they're blaming each other. And now they're blaming other situations. But I need us to get back to empathy is your heart loving. He should have just empathized with her. But you say, I failed. I've messed up. See, marriages are fixed vertically before they are fixed horizontally. All of a sudden, God comes. God takes a lamb. He kills the lamb and uses the blood and uses the, 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 the new skins and he covers them. It's a picture of salvation. God can cover that sin. God can deal with your past. But you've got to come to him and say, Lord, here's what I've done. I want to, make, I want to have a better marriage. I want, to have a, I want to go down a different direction and I need your help this morning. And I'm going to end with this. God is ready, God is waiting, and God is willing. God is ready, God is waiting, God is willing. You say, my marriage needs help. And here's what I want to tell you. Every marriage needs help. One person said, hey, being interracially married is hard. No, marriage is hard on marriage. Just marriage is hard. It is. But it's so worth it. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Go back to being dating again? Are you kidding me? That was more stressful sometimes than marriage. So we need to say, God can change. There's a story about a contractor who had a builder that helped him build a lot of homes. They had worked together for many years. And the contractor came to the builder and said, I want you to build one final home. Gave him the dimensions, gave him the specs, and said, I want you to build out the home. The builder looked at the home and said, this is huge. This is going to take forever. So he didn't want to spend that much time, so he began to cut corners. He began to cut corners on the foundation. He began to not build it quite to code. He cut out some of the more expensive materials, go for cheaper materials. Didn't get quite the quality roof he should have. Didn't quite support it like he should have. Didn't quite do everything up to the specs and the codes. He just got the house done. Just wanted to get it done. It's the last one. He was tired. He was worn out. So the contractor comes to him, and uh, they're, they're kind of looking over the house. And from the outside, the house looked really good. And once the contractor looked over the builder and said to the builder, is it finished? And the builder said, yeah, it's finished. The contractor then pulled out a set of keys and said, here you go. Threw him the keys. He said, you were building your own house. All of a sudden, the builder just hung his head. All of a sudden, he realized he's built a garbage house for himself. Let me apply it in a different way. Your marriage is what you make it. You can build a mansion or you can build a shack. But it's up to you. Not Dr. Phil, not your pastor, not a book. It's you. Many times we want to blame everybody else. We want to blame Satan. We want to blame the job. It's too stressful. Hey, we all work in the same area. We're all asked to work six, seven days a week. It's stressful. Everybody here is in the same boat. 
Nobody here has got one advantage over you. They say, well, they just got more money, so it's easier on them. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, they have less money, so they pay less in tax, so it's easier on them. No, it's not. What kind of house are you going to build? What kind of marriage are you going to build? Let's all stand as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the morning. There's so much more we need to go through, so much more truth. And Lord, I pray that you bring people back next week so we can look at this. But Lord, right now, I want to pray for marriages. I want to pray that you would do work. We're going to have an invitation time with heads bowed and eyes closed.